Welcome to After Hour, a podcast where a journalist retains a lawyer to solve societal problems. Because sometimes knowing why isn't good enough. We need to know what we can do. Sometimes we need more than truth. We need hope. I'm Jane Steele, your host and investigative journalist here with Joseph, the managing partner of Sang & Associates. Hi, Joseph. Hi, Jane. Thanks so much for coming on again today. Pleasure being here. All right, let's get right into the case. Today, we're dealing with immigration fraud. Uh, there was one particular case that really stood out to me, so I'd love to go over that with you. The man's name in question is Wilmer Rivera Melendez. And this man essentially pretended to be a lawyer, taking all of his clients' fees, but then through his actions, instead of helping his clients, he was responsible for initiating their deportation. Wow. Totally backwards, right? Um, and he charged a lot of money for this. It wasn't, it wasn't a free service that ended horribly. It was something that they paid for. And, and this is almost like if you go to a doctor to have a surgery done, and instead of helping you, this physician takes your life. Wow. And then you get the bill from the hospital. Right. Completely absurd, right? So this man, but he was a con man. He was convicted of bigamy back in 2003. He was convicted of burglary in the U.S. Virgin Islands in 93. And in 71, he escaped from a jail in Ohio. So he... Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. He does not have a great record. Um, but still, he pretended to be a lawyer and offered to help more than a dozen undocumented Guyanese immigrants in Brooklyn get green cards. He told these immigrants that he had 20 years of experience as a lawyer and worked on a ton of immigration issues. He claimed to work for W&R Immigration Services. I don't know if this was made up or something he saw, um, but it was a purported nonprofit based in Georgia. He had all of these immigrants sign a notice of entry, empowering him to represent them in court, and they agreed to wire money directly into his bank account. Mm -hmm. Huge red flag. Um, but he did go on to file documents with immigration authorities that he told his clients would have earned them a withholding of removal, which, according to him, would have allowed them to remain in the country and obtain green cards within two years. But to my knowledge, this withholding of removal actually doesn't allow one to even get a green card. Right. So he was lying to them. Um, so instead, his actions led federal immigration officials to begin deportation proceedings against these 14 immigrants. Wow. Yeah. And once it all started to fall apart, he would avoid their calls. He eventually even changed his phone number so they wouldn't contact him. Two of the victims even said that he offered to marry them so they could stay in the United States. And they were obviously disgusted. Right. right? It's interesting. It was not just one, but two, <laughs> considering right. he had a history of bigamy. Um, so it seemed unlikely, obviously, that his office could do anything to stop these immigrants, all of whom were already here and working in the U.S., from being deported. Um, because the law provides illegal immigrants who are victims of violent crime to receive temporary visas, but not victims of fraud. Hmm. So all of these immigrants were subject to deportation. And this is not just a joke, right? Not just, oh, that's a bummer. There were really dire consequences. They were living in the U.S. They were working in the U.S. They, I'm sure the costs were insurmountable, extremely high. Not only that, but you lose time, years. And then when you're deported, there's, there's a high likelihood you're never going to come back, right? This was your one shot, and you did it wrong. And so the losers are 
his victims, who put their faith in this man who was a complete scammer. The government did respond because they recognized that scams in this particular industry are so common. They're everywhere. Um, so actually during the Obama administration, there was a huge effort, the first of its kind, uh, where everyone essentially teamed up. So this was federal and state prosecutors, the Federal Trade Commission, lawyers groups, advocacy organizations, all trying to fight this epidemic of scammers, essentially. And this involved essentially huge amounts of advertising to warn immigrants of how to recognize fake lawyers. Basically, all of these scammers would say, this is what it looks like, stay away from this. And they would show you know, criminal cases as an example of, here's what will happen, here's what to look out for. Um, but I was really shocked at just how many types of fraud there are in this sector, in, in our immigration, not in the system, but I guess, yeah, scammers within the system. And honestly, I, I'm really shocked at how many, how many different types of fraud there are. It seems so systemic and not just with, you know, the mafia or the mob or a few really bad actors. It seems like there's just it's just saturated with scammers, right? Saturated with all of these, these individual con artists or these little groups of con artists who are taking advantage of people trying to work their way through our immigration system. And that's odd to me because I can't think of another industry like that. Because, I mean, this isn't the black market, right? This is the United States immigration system. This is a big deal. It's not fake, it's not illegal. This is how people come into this country. This is how people obtain green cards. If this was happening on a local level at the DMV, if the DMV was saturated with scammers trying to hand out fake driver's licenses, I don't think that would last very long, right? But somehow, for something so serious as this, our immigration system, for people to become US citizens, somehow we allow this to exist. And to me that just seems odd because I was reading things about, you know, telemarketers, right, who are just calling everyone, demanding visa fees and things of that nature, who immigrants assume and trust are going straight to a federal agency, but they're just going to line the pockets of these telemarketers, right, or these companies, or notaries who say that they can perform legal functions that they actually can't perform. And again, gain their clients' trust and take advantage of them. It's a huge scam that honestly disrupts thousands of families' lives and disrupts them, as I said before, in serious ways. This isn't, these aren't minor consequences. This is life-changing stuff. And I, I've, got, I've got a couple different sides of me, a couple different ideas bouncing around in my head. So one is, so this is, this is a huge scam that's really disrupting thousands of families' lives. It's a huge deal. And it's just shocking to me that there's so much fraud in something so consequential. And the fact that there is, to me, makes the U.S. look really irresponsible at best. Because they're well aware, as, as we've talked about, of this issue. And Joseph, you're right in the middle of this, right? This is, this is what you do as an immigration practitioner. You have friends at USCIS. You've got friends at the consulate. You must honestly see and hear this all the time. But it seems to me that whatever is being done isn't working. 
if the industry is still so full of just these simple con artists, these simple scammers who are somehow allowed to exist and take advantage of people's lives in such a serious setting with such serious consequences. So Joseph, I want to bring this to you and just ask, firstly, what is being done? And secondly, how can we improve? <laughs> wow, yes, Jane, this is actually a serious, serious problem. Our firm, we're actually handling a class action lawsuit against a lot of these fraudsters right now. Wow. Um, yeah, there's the, the fraud is actually much more prevalent than even what is reported. Mm. Um, there's fraud against non-immigrants, there's fraud against immigrants, there's fraud from outside of the U.S., there's inside the U.S., there's against students, there's against seniors. It's, it's insane. Mm. And there's small pockets, like you said. And so I think the appropriate response to you is really divided into two sections. What is being done right now that most people don't know about? And what can be done. The first part is common sense, but it seems to be ineffective. That's actually my takeaway. The second one is actually extremely controversial, mm. but it holds some promise. So one thing that's being done right now since the um, Obama administration is push this idea that there's a lot of fraudsters out there, a lot of fake notaries, or notaries here is just authenticating you are who you say you are, but in Latin America and other countries, they are essentially their um, legal professionals, they're mm. their attorneys. And so just combating this misinformation, um, but not only that, just trying to inform the public to hire professionals, professional lawyers or professional notaries with immigration bonds that can actually provide the service. So there's this push. Mm. Secondly, a lot of people, what they don't know about is that if you hire a legal professional and you receive ineffective assistance, your case can potentially be saved and reopened. I'm handling a few cases right now where, rightly or wrongly, the prior legal counsel messed up on their case. Hmm. You know, you trust your case in the hands of a legal professional. If they filled out the form incorrectly and then suddenly your whole family needs to be deported and you can never enter the U.S. again, well, that seems wrong. And if you can prove that you received ineffective assistance, then your case can potentially be reopened and you can continue. And you can even maybe save the filing fee so you don't have to refile again. So there's that, but most people don't know about that. But the thing about that is it needs to be from a proper legal counsel. So if you got defrauded by somebody who is just claiming to be a uh. licensed attorney and not, the government won't back you on that. And you can ask why or why not, um, and the public policy reason is if you expand it too broadly, it's too easy to say, I've been defrauded, let me start over. And the government can't have somebody filing the same application a hundred times. So, um, but it, it is also very, very unfortunate where people who do get scammed by who they trusted, suddenly they have no hope. Right, right. And that was, that was one of my issues in, in going through this case was, like, I, I know victims of violent crime, right? There's there's alternatives for them, right? Or if your case gets denied, but you were a victim of, of that crime, there's things that you can do. But for this, it was frustrating to me because this is a legitimate crime that these people suffered. They they were legitimate victims of fraud. And so why why isn't there, there anything for them? Maybe if the class action lawsuit goes forward and there's a court ruling, then 
maybe in the future there will be, right? Mm. So largely our immigration system, our legal system as a whole is based on case law. A lot of it is based on case law, right? So different exceptions and circumstances come up and in this case, it's the matter of Lozetta, right? It's some there's a there's a legal counsel that filed the case incorrectly, and the 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 clients themselves felt like it was extremely unjust, so they fought all the way to the appeals court, and then the appeals court said, yes, that's right. If you receive ineffective, then you can have your case reopened, and so mm. that set the precedent for everything that we're doing now. But potentially, maybe if you are a victim of fraud and you fight your way up that will open up the possibility for other people. And that's how important it is that when people have suffered harm, even if there is no remedy that's immediately available, if you fight for your justice, you might actually create this justice for other people. Mm. But that leads us to the topic of why this current program seems to be so ineffective. Essentially, you're putting the burden on the individuals to do their due diligence and shop for the right legal professional. And that's extremely hard. You might not speak the language. Even if you do speak the language, these are pe people who are trying to defraud you, right? They're trying, they're committing perjury. They're providing fake documents. How do you know the legal professional that you're hiring is actually a legal professional, right? And if you yourself don't hold um, a, a law license, it's really hard for you to tell if somebody actually holds a law license or not, mm -hmm. right? Um, and the government going out there saying, there's a lot of fraud out there, be careful, it only makes you more scared of shopping around and you rely on the people and the people that you see. And if this person mm -hmm. is very nice to you, that they're trying to help you, um, and they, they've helped maybe a friend and you got a referral, then you'll, you'll trust them. And that's mm -hmm. how a lot of these scams happen hmm. and if the only resolution of it is going through the appeal process process and spending a hundred thousand appealing your case well good luck yeah <laughs> so that seems to be a very ineffective way to be combating the prevalent scam that's happening across the united states and in all the different sectors so the case that i'm working on right now um, are a lot of these fake sham companies mm. that is offering employment opportunities to students who just recently graduated, right? So a lot of international students that graduate, they have to secure a job offer in order to stay in the U.S. on OPT for mm. a year or for STEM majors, maybe two years. And, but they only have a short period to do that. Mm. And if they cannot land a job, then they have to get kicked out of the country and they're really worried. And so there's all these scam companies saying, yes, pay us a certain fee, or uh, if you apply, we will have a high chance in securing you a position. So all these mm -hmm. students apply, and then they give a fake job offer, and then these students got this job offer, they're super excited, and when the time comes to go to the company, suddenly the company doesn't exist, there's no HR that contacts them back, and suddenly they're just in limbo. And then suddenly the government gets wind of this and says, oh, you committed fraud as a student, so you get kicked out. And so a lot of these students who are coming to us, this happened maybe five years ago, six years ago, and now when they're in their green card process, their case is getting rejected, they're being labeled as fraudsters, and they're being kicked out because they got scammed, right? So this is a crazy situation, but this just shows the level and uh, sophistication of the scams, right? These are targeted international students from certain countries in certain mm. schools, and you're incorporating certain companies, offering letters, creating fake websites. How would these students possibly know, right? When you're going through this job offer application process, you're not hiring an attorney. The school is not there to back you up to double check. It's largely up to the student themselves. And again, they're international students. They've just graduated college. 
from a dance major maybe, how would they possibly know this is the thing that they're facing, yet the consequences is this severe? That's such a nightmare. Right. But these are the common sense solutions, right? The government telling people, warning them, hey, there's fraud out there. Um, the court system provides potential relief, but you might have to spend a lot of money to go through it. Or you just have to do your due diligence. All common sense, but because it seems to be so ineffective, it still provides a huge opportunity for scammers in all levels, fake marriages, fake employment opportunities, mm -hmm. fake everything. But because these common sense solutions seems to be so ineffective, it provides this hotbed of opportunity for scammers at all levels. Fake religious visas, fake mm -hmm. marriage visas, fake <laughs> almost everything that you can possibly think of. Yeah, and even me sitting here, I'm like, I I'm pretty sure now I would fail. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure I would get frauded. Even if I feel like I'm doing my due diligence, they're so sophisticated, right? You can, you can make it so simple and clean and believable right. to even me who speaks, you know, English is my native language and I've grown up here. I could see myself falling victim to this sort of thing. Right. So let's talk about the more controversial but potentially effective solution. One thing we do a lot is talk about how to disrupt the system that is currently in place. Because obviously, the current system is almost even incentivizing for fraud to continue to happen. Mm. There's a reason why so much fraud is there, because it seems to be so easy. Mm. So how do you disrupt the system? Going after each individual bad actor is going to cost the government way too much and there might not be enough of an incentive for nonprofits and individual attorneys to do that. So how do you disrupt the system? And one potential way is to allow for non-lawyers mm -hmm. to provide legal service. This almost seems counterintuitive, right? Yes. <laughs> because right now the whole problem is that there are non-lawyers scamming people pretending to be lawyers. Right. But hear me out. There's a lot of factors to why this might work. One reason is because lawyers have to pay a lot of money to go through law school and they have to charge a lot of money to do basic, seemingly simple application forms. And so a lot of these scammers think, wow, I worked so hard to make a couple dollars. Why don't I just pretend I'm a lawyer and suddenly I could do the same amount of work, task, mm -hmm. and suddenly I could charge this much more. So there's all these scammers out there. Now, maybe some of them started out trying to help people and then making a mistake and they just dig themselves in a hole and they try to get out by scamming more and more people. That happens a lot, right? Mm. So that's one situation. Because of the way the legal industry is set up, the price tag is just too high. So if suddenly you allow for non-attorneys to break into the marketplace, then you'll have businesses and corporations go into this industry and potentially providing really quality service for a lot cheaper. And if you can get quality service for a lot cheaper, then scammers will not be incentivized to scam anymore because the price is already so cheap. So that is one potential. Now, there's a lot of fundamental premises here. You have to assume businesses and corporations will do and be able to provide legal service better than lawyers. Mm. That's one fundamental, right? And another thing is businesses and corporations will eventually bring the cost down. And businesses and corporations will be incentivized to combat fraud mm. and scammers much more effectively than lawyers. In a way, in a twisted way, way, lawyers almost stand to benefit 
that there are so many scammers out there because I know so many attorneys that will say, don't hire people who are not lawyers. Pay me the expense of legal fee. Mm. You see? Yeah. And it is right and it is righteous, but it seems almost wrong. And that is a very twisted way and it doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't sit well with me because if the lawyer is charging a high fee for not doing any work and it's somehow legal to do that, then it's almost robbing in plain sight, right? And so that's why so many people hate lawyers because they have to pay such a high fee when all the lawyer had to do is spend maybe 10 minutes and fill out a form and file it. And it almost is like, I'd rather be scammed than be scammed openly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I understand that sentiment. And so that's why I think the current system is almost broken from the inside. Okay, so it sounds like to me that would take a lot of work a lot of shifting around or a lot would have to happen to allow this controversial solution to be played out. What, what exactly would be required for this to happen? This is actually underway right now in California. It's a, there's a huge push and different, um, different courts and around the country are already implementing a lot of this. Hmm. Legal, non-legal professionals being able to provide legal help. Now, this is extremely controversial. I haven't made up my mind whether I'm for it or against it. I can see the potential benefits, so I'm very attracted to it. Um, I, I'm definitely worried that non-lawyers are providing certain legal help and it can be have disastrous consequences. But if it's combating against fraud and if there's so much fraud out there already, then all, this, all these problems are already happening, right? So hmm. I could totally see both sides to this. What I'm really interested in seeing is how the insurance company will jump in because one thing that is for sure that is going to be required for a non-lawyer to provide legal services is that they will have to get a bond. Mm. Right now, you can already get a bond, an immigration bond to provide legal services as a non-lawyer, but this bond can exponentially go up. And, and that makes sense, right? If you mess up on somebody's case and their whole family gets deported and they lose hundreds of thousands, well, then you should have insurance that will cover that. Even lawyers, right? Even our firm, we have a very expensive malpractice insurance. If we mess up, well, there's an insurance that covers us. So if lawyers are required to have malpractice insurances, well, actually, a lot of lawyers actually don't carry malpractice insurance, but mm. I don't know how they sleep at night. <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel much better that there is an insurance in place, right? Because human error happens. Yeah. So if, if lawyers typically have malpractice insurance, how much more so non-lawyers will have expensive bond, but how will the insurance companies come into play and, and price this accordingly. Because if it's not done correctly, one bad actor or one just misinformed, careless, paralegal turned immigration practitioner, <laughs> non-lawyer who have this bond and mess up on 100 cases and, and all 100 cases gets a million dollars, the insurance company will go broke. So hmm. how is the insurance company going to figure out this problem. I think that's a huge step, but once the insurance company figures that out and once the law lawmakers in this country and in each state provides this solution and provided that attorneys don't fight this tooth and nail because I know a lot of lawyers hate this idea and they are fighting it continuously and sending me petitions to tell me to be against it. Mm. And I'm really in, undecided on this. I'm only merely mentioning this as a potential solution to combat fraud because to me yeah and i can understand the pushback too like initially when you mentioned it it's like well isn't that the problem <laughs> people who aren't who shouldn't be practicing are practicing but then also from maybe an attorney's perspective it's 
like a competition thing almost. Is, is that the, the right. pushback? Um, the underlying pushback. Gotcha. They, 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 it might not be overtly saying. I don't. I, I've never read a petition that said, "Then this is unfair competition. Why do we even <laughs> go to law school?" Right. But right. privately, that those are the conversations that's happening. Yeah, I can see that. Right. So this is a really pretty cool, uh, but controversial <laughs> solution. Right. Um, and I imagine it'll take several years for us to really get answers, or see this play out. So for people who are currently maybe hiring immigration lawyers in this environment where there's so much fraud, what should they do? I hold this very unpopular belief that it's important to know the entire value chain, which means there are some times that's very important to hire a litigation attorney. Some people need to hire a transactional attorney. Some people don't need to hire an attorney. And I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm, I totally believe in that. When I hired contractors, when I hired interior designers, when I hired anybody, it's important for me to know what the value chain is, who's the most expensive, who's the least expensive, and how does that correspond to my need. Hmm. But my advice to anybody who's in the immigration process, if, you don't, if you're hiring a professional and you are not in the industry, you of course should do your own due diligence to the best of your ability, but it's also a really good idea to get a reference. Hire a professional to hire that professional. And I do that for all of my corporate clients and all my family clients. When they need an out-of-state service for maybe personal injury or for uh, a complicated estate case, I can't do it because that's not my field of expertise, but I'm in a much better position to figure out who's telling the truth and who's not, and for me to shop around, right? And so me being able to sift through the referrals and give a suggestion is much better than them doing it themselves. And so find a friend or a trusted relative, even if they're not in this industry, let them help you. Mm -hmm. And I think that reference is just so much more powerful. Mm -hmm. That's great advice. It's so practical. It's so straightforward. And it's something that people literally right now can do. Right. I love it. Thank you so much, Joseph. Pleasure being here. As always. As always. <laughs> Many thanks to Joseph for our conversation today. After Hours is a podcast by Sang & Associates, an international firm dedicated to solving legal problems with creative solutions. If you enjoyed today's episode of After Hour, you will find these conversations and more on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. For information on Sang & Associates, go to sangslaw.com. Feel free to connect with us on Instagram and Facebook, as well as to learn more about what we do and hear success stories from Sang & Associates. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thank you for joining me for After Hour. I'm Jane Steele.